for reasons that are both personal and political, I find myself reflecting quite often in Martyrs Square. Um, I walk towards my father's tomb, and he's buried right next to Wissam al-Hassan, assassination just before his, in October 2012. Um, to get there, there's an adjacent tomb that we all know because it was best represented by a giant tent uh, where Rafiq Hariri is buried, uh, killed nearly 19 years ago today, February 14, 2005. So, going there to reflect, there's a lot of different emotions that come up and a lot of memory as well. And memory is helpful. It really does put things in perspective. And seeing that story fade over time and very few left to honor it in a way that's fair and just, it means that over time uh, their story becomes one that I think is unfairly remembered and I think is attacked too often for reasons that probably have to do more with ideologically driven uh, pursuits or some sort of uh, acceptance that Hezbollah can be worked with as an ally. And I think uh, that represents maybe a bulk um, of the talking heads on, in this country, uh, the intelligentsia, academia, uh, and the like. Not all, but there's a healthy, uh, healthy, uh, there's a healthy block of people that love to equate Hariri with Hassan Nasrallah. Um, they maybe think of Solidaire as problematic as Hezbollah's weapons. I don't think they would say it that way, but I think it's with equal passion and and, uh, and uh, equal fervor that they can talk, they can wax poetry uh, over how much they hate Solidaire. And some of that hate is actually fair. It's actually reasonable criticism. And then link it to something like a sub-state army that has completely paralyzed this country. But anyway, um, the inheritor of that whole story, not necessarily the individuals that appear later or the individuals killed later, years later, the inheritor, the, the best uh, representative of that story over time is at the same time, one of the most problematic figures in terms of legacy, uh, agency, and really just, uh, I think, tells the whole story of post-2005 Lebanon and what went wrong with this country. And that's Saad Hariri. Um, I personally don't think his departure did anything good to the country. Uh, I also can say this quite confidently that should he return and should he should he ever find himself interested in returning once more, um, I can't imagine it being any different. And it's not because this has happened three times, but because the conditions that would allow someone like him to do anything different are not there. I will also say, and I think this is I think this is fair, that anyone in his position, or anyone trying to become prime minister, or anyone that's sought as as a favorable alternative, could be Nawaf Slim, a 
current president, the ICJ. Uh, it could be someone who's very ambitious in terms of wanting to become prime minister for a very long time. Uh, Fuad Makhzoumi. Um, it could be one of the newer faces in traditional politics, at least, that may see it as an advantage uh, later in his career. Someone like Brahim Naimni. Um, could be one of the strangest figures to emerge in modern Lebanese history, Hassan Dieb. Whether his intentions were good or not is secondary. We all know what happened under his tenure and how it ended just after the port blast. Um, it could be Tamim Slam or anyone trying to be part of this uh, ship that is continuously sinking. I don't think they could do any better than Saad Hariri. Even if their credentials are better, even if their knowledge, or even if, no, not necessarily their knowledge, even if their record is more favorable on paper, um, I don't think that translates to political agency given the conditions anyone faces in Lebanon. Now that extends to every position of power, at least in terms of the highest positions that should, should yield more authority. I think they're in the same issue. Um, I don't think it's fair to compare Suleiman Frenji and Jihad Azour uh, for Babda. I don't think it's okay to consider Bashar al-Assad's, one of his closest friends and childhood friend, um, to an IMF regional director. I think the vetting process alone to get to that post in the IMF says a lot about Jihad Azour's tenure as Minister of Finance. Um, I think there's a lot of also hearsay and propaganda against anyone that served in any capacity in any way, shape, or form with Fuad Senora or Saad Hariri, or for that matter, March 14. But ideology, ideology aside, um, they're not the same person. But it is a good question, I think, in that could Jihad Azur do better or do more? Not necessarily better. Could, could they do more? And I don't know. Probably not. I don't know why a figure in this current setup is able to do more or less or better or worse should they choose to. I think they're paralyzed the moment they enter. And I think that's the story. The last person in the Sarai that had real agency and tested their limits was Rafi Hadidi. Um, An anomaly, perhaps, in Lebanese history is that after he's killed, and it took 28 days, and actually, I love this book because it records those 28 days that changed Lebanon. Uh, it's really the build-up to March 14, 2005. Uh, there's a foreword by Yasma Flehan, Basil Flehan's uh, widow. It's those 28 days that were an anomaly in that a rare opportunity uh, emerged. Political actors saw eye to eye that the Syrian regime should leave. Um, and opposition was majority and determined. And it included people that are now opponents. Back then, and it, it included both Michel Aoun and Samir Jaja. It included Walid Jumblat. It included Saad Hariri. Uh, it included a variety of Lebanese parties, not all, and not all communities were represented in the same degree, to the same degree. But anyway, there was momentum. It was on the street, at the local level. There was a political voice expressing it. 
Um, there was a regional uh, understanding that Syria perhaps is better when it leaves rather than continuously occupying this country. And also, there was an international an international awareness and concern and therefore some action taken to try to shield Lebanon to a degree from further uh, intrusion and actually do something which was exceptional at the time, try to hold Hariri's assassins to account. Of course, back then, there was an anti-Syrian uh, momentum on the street. Years later, it would be understood, thanks to that long process and that report that was eventually published, that it's Hezbollah individuals that hold responsibility for that assassination. So that political anomaly saw the country for a moment, except that it's at least the majority accepted that Syria should leave. Um, that changed very quickly thereafter. But Saad Hariri, in his long career post-2005, not always prime minister, sometimes a figurehead, or sometimes a symbolic uh, opposition figure, uh, sometimes representing a, a new political party, at least in terms of actual politics on the ground, future party emerges then. Um, somebody who enters the Sarai and leaves the Sarai a few times, um, that agency that he inherited, whatever was left of it from Rafi Hariri, grew less and less and less. And the story is less to do, I think, with Saad Hariri making decisions. It's more to do with Saad Hariri choosing to stay in power under terms that are unfavorable to anyone trying to oppose the reasons why his father was killed and the reasons why Lebanon over time became paralyzed. He was unable to do much. Now, when he did, the few times that he did, or if somebody in his camp did, like May 2008, you end up with violence on the streets. Like January 2011, endorsing the Special Tribunal for Lebanon's final verdict when it would uh, appear. You get your government... Uh, thrown out, and you're, in a way, in self-imposed exile abroad. Uh, in 2000 and 2019, um, you're the, in a way, you're the face of the government, which is fair. You're prime minister at a time of immense despair uh, and, and uncertainty. As the economy crashes, as politics becomes completely, when the country is absolutely ungovernable, and there's mass protests on the street against the system that you're representing. Um, yeah, you're going to be pushed out. Uh, perhaps it was a strategic mistake to try to come back once more um, later in 2020, 2021. But, um, but that sort of nosedive from inheriting February 14 and its aftermath, March 14 in particular, and then seeing it as a story of constant compromise to stay in power. I think that is a better understanding of what Hadidi uh, is today, and that he became the preferred prime minister 
rather than the opponent. A man who still, up until today, for reasons that are beyond his control, still has communal sway, is still the sectarian leader in that he best reflects, in Lebanese terms particularly, the Sunni community's aspirations, even when he's not here. Um, Najib Miati, I think, is best defined as a spare tire, a spare wheel. And maybe he's keeping the seat warm at the moment uh, for Saad Hadidi. Maybe Saad Hadidi will try to come back once more. But anyway, that aside, the spare wheel syndrome that Lebanon is living through, you can't run a car on spare tires. Um, but that's Saad Hadidi's legacy and all the problems that came underneath, all of the issues we know about, all of the financial concerns, all of the bad political choices made on the way, all of the accepting of a status quo that was unfavorable to him and that he, in a way, he grew accustomed to and accepted over time, even when his allies were getting killed, even when people within his team were getting killed, he chose to still stay in power rather than exit, compromising to the point that it became meaningless that he was nominally opposed to Hezbollah when they were the ones dictating terms for everyone entering those situations, those halls of power. The last person that challenged that status quo uh, while Saad Hariri was not in Lebanon, while he was abroad, was my father. And I think this photo, in a way, is quite, for me, becomes, I, I don't know, I think about this photo a lot because it's the first and the last. It's Rafiq Hariri in the middle, my father on the left, and I'm standing next to Rafiq Hariri on his other side. It's the first and the last of that string of assassinations and that momentum that emerged, that local momentum, that local agency, that last attempt at restoring a semblance of Lebanese sovereignty. That their killers are the ones paralyzing the state, that the hitmen that killed them are still at large, uh, that the group that took too many lives in this country is the same group that determines all aspects of peace and war today and that this is a group that even wants to at this stage still pretend like it's defending Palestine um, I think all of that in the background uh, it would be it would be very short-sighted and very very concerning should Saad Hariri once more return and accept those conditions that are as unfavorable to him today as they were to him years ago. But in the same breath, I will say that anyone searching for power today uh, and trying to accept the system as it is and working with Hezbollah to try to find uh, a stabilizing way forward will face the same fate. Uh, they will get nowhere. And that's 19 years after Rafiq Hariri was killed. Uh, I think a good starting point would be to make sure the group that kills these individuals 
no longer has those capabilities. And then deal with politics and deal with all that comes with sectarianism and deal with the long overdue reform and actually rebuild the state once and for all. And the foundation remains flawed as long as their killers are both at large and at the moment governing Lebanon.